All right, we're going to, um, this morning we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. If you want to uh, turn there in your Bible, um, if you need a Bible, put up your hand. One of our ushers will bring you one. You can turn to the app. Um, find yourself in Luke 10, however you get there. Um, this Christmas, we haven't really been talking about maybe the, the traditional Christmas passages. Um, we haven't kind of opened the Christmas story, not a lot of talk about shepherds and wise men and, and Mary in the manger and all of that. Um, we haven't been talking about the Christmas carols or doing uh, a message like that. We've been talking about compassion, okay? Uh, and clearly while I was gone, we forgot to say amen when we say compassion, but that's, that's okay. Um, but really, this is the heart of Christmas, it is compassion, where we, um, we've defined compassion uh, in this series as um, having a real deep awareness of somebody's suffering um, and then coupling that, su- uh, that understanding with a strong desire to actually do something about it. We talked about what Christ-like compassion looks like, where uh, Jesus himself uh, saw needs and, and he felt needs and he did something about it, both physical and spiritual needs. And so when we talk about Christ-like compassion, we talk about seeing needs and, and feeling needs um, and then also taking steps of action to actually step into the brokenness of our world to meet not only physical needs but also the spiritual needs that we're only able to do because of Jesus. And this really is uh, the heart of Christmas. Uh, so how we ended up talking about this is uh, as I was preparing for um, the Christmas season, I opened up my Bible to the Gospel of Luke and started reading the, the Christmas passages as I often do, looking for, God, what do you want to say to, to our people? And, and I was just struck with God, God's heart of compassion in the Christmas story. Uh, and then I just kind of kept reading beyond Christmas and got into Jesus' life and ministry and, and just saw that this is not just the Christmas story, uh, but we see the heart of God lived out in the, the person and the ministry of Jesus, uh, and that uh, what we see at Christmas where God stepped into our world. Uh, Jesus continued uh, to do that throughout his ministry. Uh, and that really, the heart of God is, is compassion. And we see it lived out practically in Jesus and that when Jesus left this earth, he called his followers to be his hands and feet, uh, to be people of compassion. Um, and so uh, if I were to ask, as we're talking about compassion, if we were just maybe to get out of the, the, the details of the verses for, for a moment and just kind of think big picture. If I were to ask you, do you get the sense that when Jesus was here on earth, that he was um, joyful about the work that he was doing? Or, or do you kind of think that he was always kind of bemoaning the fact that he had to walk days here on earth? And do you think that he was, um, it just, that he had some happiness about being uh, in the midst of people or he was always that? If he was texting back to the Father, would he be, you know, texting back the old, you know, frowny face emoji, uh, you know, or kind of the, uh, the uh, you know, sideways pee, tongue sticking out like, ah, oh, I had to deal with, you know, these guys again. And this is just awful down here. Or, or maybe there would be uh, some smiles there in the heart of Jesus. I get the sense uh, that Jesus w- was into it. And, and that this, th- this is actually uh, biblical as well, that, that Jesus was enjoying stepping into the mess. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says that we are to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured. Endured even the cross. 
Uh, Jesus endured walking the days in the brokenness of the mess here for the joy that was to come. Now, here's, here's what I'm thinking about compassion is that there is always a cost to compassion. That if we're to be compassionate people, there's always a cost that comes with it. But it does not compare with the joy that awaits. There's a cost that comes, but that cost does not compare with the joy that awaits. There's always a cost to compassion. Let's be clear about this. And I think for us as followers of Jesus, this is probably the biggest hindrance. I mean, we see needs. Our, our heart probably even breaks for those needs. We, we feel the needs. But I think as Paul talked about last week uh, when I wasn't here, that really compassion takes action. And this is where we struggle is to step into it because compassion costs us something. And often what it costs for us is comfort. And so um, we often don't feel that we want to step into that. We often don't look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, who felt that cost, that stepped into that in order to do something about it. And so if we're to talk about the cost of compassion, I mean, just think about Christmas, you know, right? The story is Jesus, almighty God, uh, eternal maker and creator of everything, comes and finds himself a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger, surrounded by oxen and donkeys and sheep, and uh, as he goes and finds himself constrained in the body of, uh, that we all have uh, and the constraints that come with it. And what it says in Philippians chapter 2 is this, that this was the, the mind of Jesus, the attitude of Jesus that we are to have. Having the mind among us, um, which is ours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And so if we look at the heart of God of compassion in Christmas, we see that there was a great cost to God the Son, Jesus, come down. To humble himself, taking on the form of a servant. Now, we love Jesus. We're Christians. We, we want to follow Jesus. And so, if we were to look at what it means to follow Jesus, as I continued beyond the Christmas story into Luke, I came to Luke chapter 9, um, where it actually talks about the cost of following Jesus. And it says this, as Jesus and his disciples were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Yeah, that's kind of the attitude we have. We want to follow Jesus. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds have the air, of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus is talking about the cost that comes if we're to follow him. Now, the heart of these verses where Jesus says, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is saying that really some of the ordinary comforts. Like having a home. Where did, what was Jesus' house like? Oh, we don't know. We never hear about Jesus having a house. He was always on the go in the mission that he had. 
And Jesus is saying, you know, some of the comforts that you're used to, even some of the comforts that the birds that through their life have a nest, you may not have if you follow me. To another, uh, Jesus said, uh, come follow me. And, and the guy replied, Lord, let me go first bury my father. Uh, Jesus is saying that the cares of the world, the, the affairs of this world may have to be left behind if we were to take on his agenda. Uh, to those that say, let me go say goodbye first, he says, uh, no, we need to fix our eyes moving forward. This is the cost of following me. Now, Jesus is not saying here that uh, it's wrong to have a house or that you should never bury or say goodbye to your, your parents or your loved ones. But what he is telling us is that if we are to follow him, there is a cost. And if we are to follow the compassionate heart of God, there will be a cost. And this is illustrated as we continue in Luke 10, as he sends out his followers, 72 of them, it says, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. These 72, these are more than the 12, this is kind of the the church, his followers that had committed out of the, the greater crowd that said, I will follow him. And he tells them, Um, That they are to go. He sends them out. Verse 2, he says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. That's a verse that, as Christians, we like. Uh, We want to pray that God's work would be done. That, that God is doing a work, taking a harvest, bearing fruit, advancing his kingdom in this world. We want to pray, God, send somebody, send somebody, send somebody. You know what happened about five years ago when I started praying that verse? God ended up starting to work on, on my heart. And before we ever kind of actually went out to do something like, like going to, to Haiti, uh, we began praying, God, send somebody out. I had no idea that he would eventually send us in that way, me and my family, I never imagined that that would happen. But Jesus is saying that when we pray and when we pray earnestly, he may move our hearts to be those who go. But then he says this, go your way that I'm sending you. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. to, To go to be his people, to advance his mission, to advance his message, to be people of compassion Uh, but then he says, I'm sending you as lambs among wolves. That doesn't sound very comfortable. He continues to tell them that you're going to have to surrender your dependence and trust on my provision for you. You're going to have to surrender your comfort because as you go out, if you're going to be this sort of people, you'll find yourself in some uncomfortable situations. You will find yourself being rejected if these are the types of people that you will want to be because compassion following Jesus comes with a cost. It always comes with a cost. And those 72, they go out, no doubt experiencing what Jesus said that they would. However, Luke 10, verse 17, it talks about when they return. It says the 72 returned with joy. That though it had cost them much, that though they experienced discomfort, rejection, all these things, they returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to, Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, I know that these verses are not your typical Christmas verses that we sing carols about. But notice what it says, that those who walk out and pay the price and the cost, they come back with much rejoicing and much joy. And Jesus talks about uh, Satan falling, like, what's this all about? What these weird statements are about is this, that there is a spiritual reality beyond the physical practicalities of just going out and doing the things that we do in Jesus' name. And Jesus is saying that you need to understand that when you go out, when you walk obediently and follow me, actually things are happening in the spiritual realm. And what he's saying that actually he saw Satan fall like lightning fast when his people go out and be the type of people he's called us to be. That actually those chains of darkness, those bonds that hold people down, those are broken when we go and be the type of people he want to be, wants us to be. When we are people of compassion, there's something that God does through that when we simply walk faithfully and obediently, paying that cost. And here's what you have to understand, that when we go and we deliver a bag of rice to an impoverished single mom that has no hope, it's a rather simple thing for us. Somebody gives some money, we buy some rice, we take it and we deliver it. But Jesus is saying that actually what is happening when we go out there, that through that simple act, that the bonds of spiritual darkness that hold people down are being broken. People are being freed. Satan is being defeated when we advance forward. That when we do something simple as buy an extra thing, a baby formula, and lay it at the cross to be taken down and given to a, a baby whose mom has been just so malnourished herself that she's given all that she can to her baby and still not enough. And they're, they're dying from a simple lack of vitamins in their diet. That that simple act is actually breaking the, those chains of darkness that uh, in bondage families and make it hopeless for someone. Bring hope and peace and as Jesus talks about that, that, that we are not just to rejoice in the little acts that we get to do, but that we understand that a bigger thing is happening when we are the type of people that God has called us to be. When there's somebody that is locked in sex trafficking and they're uh, able to be freed from that life. When you sit with somebody who is lonely and, and depressed and, and anxious and just sit and have a conversation, something very small and compassionate actually looses chains that the enemy has on people. God is using voice in this. That when we grasp that God is using us to be a part of his work, that we rejoice, not just that, hey, we have power over darkness, but that we rejoice that there is more yet to come. Rejoice not that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. You see, God is in the process of, uh, of breaking the holds of darkness on our world. We have an opportunity right now to be uh, small parts of that. 
to be a part of the work that God's doing that one day when Jesus comes back a second time. Uh, he came the first time at Christmas. He's coming back and he's going to take all of this mess, step into it once again, make it all right. And this, this is where the joy comes from. Yes, it seems so costly and uncomfortable to us right now. These steps of compassion, they, they do, but there's much joy when we understand what God is doing. Compassion always comes with a cost, but even more so, it comes with a joy. I don't know that I ever really shared with you how I ended up taking our family to Haiti. But um, last time I was down there in September, it just really felt like at some point God was calling our whole family to go. My wife and I, we had never even gone together because uh, we didn't want to leave the, the kids alone here. Um, but, but really felt when I was down there that, you know what, God was laying on my heart, it's time to bring the whole family down. I thought that would be a year, maybe two years later, but um, when I was writing uh, an email to the, the church about the trip that was coming up in December, um, I wrote a line um, in the email that it said this, um, if God's calling you to go, don't wait. When I wrote those words to you, um, God really pierced my heart. And uh, nobody else really responded and, um, to, to going on that email, so I, I just took steps forward to, to keep going. But, you know, the first thing that came into my mind with all of that, oh, God, I can't. It's, it's too costly. We can never pay the amount that it would take for six people to go there, even if we did, you know, so, some support raising. Um, we, I don't know that we could do it. It's too costly. Um, I, I can't take the time. It's much too busy. I can't give the time. Um, and, uh, you know, the, well, the kids, they certainly wouldn't want to miss a week of school uh, to, to go down there. It's just too costly. But that, that's where I first, first went to, what were the costs. Um, but I wanted to just share with you um, a little bit, uh, some of the glimpses of joy. I brought some pictures with us. Um, Here's a picture of Joy, my, my uh, daughter Shane. Um, and uh, just out there, we would go out in, in this truck out to um, a neighboring village in that yellow truck that's out there. Pretty neat truck. The side of it turns down into a stage, and we do a little VBS there among the kids, but go through the town honking. You just see the kids running over the hills uh, and coming down in there. And uh, just to see uh, the joy uh, of my children there, there among them, and the joy that they had with her. Had another picture up here. Um, now, there's a guy, he doesn't look all that joyful, but I promise you he is. Um, we deliver, delivered one of those meals to um, a, a family that has generationally been, been hurt, that we were able to, to, to show up and just bring a little bit of hope. Uh, another picture, um, there is uh, my daughter Larkin, um, some of that baby formula that you brought down there, feeding to one of those malnourished kids and, and just seeing the smile on her face. What else we got there? Uh, there's my son. We brought basketball down, and all week kind of thinking about who would he give that basketball to. Um, and, and as he thought about throughout the week, in the end, he ended up giving it to, to this boy. And just the joy of being able to give something uh, of his own to uh, that child. Another picture. Um, there's a 
Kendall, um, I'm not sure what she's, uh, I think they were playing like they were going to try to eat her or something like that, put mustard on her. Like, I don't even know what really was going on. But you see the smiles, you see the, see the joy uh, that was there and the relationships that were built up. Um, uh, here's another of Garrison and I being able, that's about the size of the room there that this single mom has. She has a one-year-old daughter. Um, we're there in her room. She invited us in uh, just to be able to pray with her. Um, the, the joy of being able to be there. Um, another picture here, uh, that guy in the middle, um, that's the, the child that we sponsor. There's a sponsorship program there. He's graduating high school uh, this year. Um, we're actually praying about him possibly coming to college here in California. That well, We've had an opportunity to, yeah, it costs each month to sponsor him, but the, to see the relationship with our whole family there. Um, it's just an incredible thing. And, and you want to see some kind of random joy? Check out the, the random guy photobombing on the right there. And uh, he's just enjoying getting in this picture of this American family um, at church there. So, uh, but these are just some of the glimpses that we've experienced, though seemingly costly, the, the joy that comes when you step in and, and be a part of what God's doing. Now, now picture those locally. I know uh, some of you that have a heart for foster care. So costly, sacrificing time and energy, sacrificing your home, sacrificing uh, some of the comforts of being uh, your own family, to, to take somebody else in, or those families here that have adopted a child in. Because there's so much cost, but, but you know the joys that come through that. Or all the little things of being able to, to care for a family. I love hearing some of the stories of compassion that are coming back from you. Of seeing needs and feeling those needs and stepping out to meet those needs. And you know what? It's not like everyone's just like, shoot, got another need I got to meet. No, we're feeling the joy that comes with it. It's always a little bit costly. It's a little bit hard to get started. But when we do, we know and we experience that, that joy. We, we need to have a vision for the joy like Jesus did walking here on this earth. So that we can get started. Now, if I can get a little kind of science, biology geek with you for a moment, if you'll allow me that. Um, there, there's something that we talk about in the processes that happen in the body um, where it takes some activation energy to get them started. In fact, I brought a little illustration here. Now, this is a biology lecture here. But uh, the idea is this. If you're a biologist, you know this, hopefully. That they get these reactions started. There's an energy that needs to be input. And it's kind of like this illustration of a hill to get things going, to, to get where you want to go. Now, enzymes in our body work this way. They actually reduce that activation energy to another, another picture here so that it's a little bit easier the next time around. Now, sometimes it seems very hard to push that ball over the hill to, to get started. But what I believe that the church is here for is to be somewhat of a catalyst for compassion, to, to bring down some of that barrier to, to help us, to help one another to be who God's called us to be. Because it's hard, it's costly. It takes our comfort. We don't want to do it. But together, we can. What are some of the ways that we do that? How is the church a catalyst? Uh, number one, I say it's through God's word. That's what we're doing here in this series. We're saying, hey, let's look at the scripture. Let's get to know who God is. He defines himself as a God of compassion. 
And he calls us to be people of compassion. That's what God's word says. And if we really take the time to look into it and not just kind of read it from a, a what, does, what does God provide for me, for me, for me, we really see who God is, who he's called us to be, who Jesus was, how he calls us to follow him. And so as we preach these things, as we talk about them in our homes, the church, God's word, is a catalyst for compassion. We are catalysts for one another. That's why we share humbly with one another, but, but we share. It says in the book of Hebrews that we are to consider how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. See, on our own, we kind of get really self-centered, but when we are a community, a body together, we can't hear, help but hear and discuss these things. We spur one another on. We stir one another up. Another catalyst that we give as a church is this, taking small steps, small steps. Oftentimes it is hard, and it challenges us. So some of us don't leap with both feet in. I didn't leap with both feet in. This was a process. It continually is a process. And so as a church, we hope to give some kind of small steps. That's why there's, you know, way not, it's not, hey, everybody needs to go to Haiti. No, you can bring baby formula. You can be a small part of that. You can take a small step. Yeah, it, it costs a little bit. It costs some time. It costs some money. Uh, but we take that small step. When we do our giving and when we do our offerings, uh, these are small steps where God works in our heart uh, in order to, to grow us, to understand the joy that comes in giving. Yeah, it's very hard to begin giving, but as we do, those who have given faithfully over the years can, can testify to the fact that, man, there's joy when God meets your needs, when, when you feel part of being part of his work. And that's why we, you know, in this month, we, what we're doing is giving 10% of our offering out to Compassion Initiatives. And we're involving you in that, asking you which things that you're seeing that we should give to. We're involving discovery groups in that uh, in order to, to help meet needs because we want you to be a part. We want you to see because there's much joy that comes into it. And we don't want to hog all that for just a few people's selves. We all take small steps and God takes those small steps and he does a great work through us. But he also does a work in us when we come back and rejoice with Jesus and that's the final catalyst that, that I'll give you today, is celebration. That we are to have these times of rejoicing and celebrating what God is doing. Not to say, we need to do more, we need to do more. What's God doing? And he has done a great work as we look back at this year. We want to celebrate what God has done. How God has used you as the church to be a part of the great work that he's doing in this world. Now, the reality is there are times when our activation energy kind of drops low and, and that barrier is big again and we're kind of focused on, on self. It's good to have these seasons when uh, we kind of uh, rally around this and when we help one another. But we want to be in that place where you want to know what, this becomes our way of life. Not just a season of Christmas where we get compassionate like the rest of the world does but that we are full-on people of compassion, that day after day, month after month, year after year, we are stepping in to the brokenness 
seeing needs every day in your neighborhood. You don't have to go to Haiti to see needs. There are needs right behind the doors in your neighborhood. There are needs right next to your cubicle in your workplace. There are needs everywhere. Do we see them? Do we feel them? And then will we act on them? You know, when our activation energy drops low and it seems like a big barrier and we get so focused, that's where we need to go back to the gospel to remember the Christmas story, to, to remember a God who so loved the world that he sent his son to come to step into the brokenness. He sees, he feels, he acts to make all the difference in our lives. And we love to receive God's compassion, don't we? As broken sinners, struggling in so many ways, we want to receive his hope, his joy, his peace. But as we receive, he also calls us to give. And not only are we blessed by receiving, we're blessed in our giving. So will we grow to be people of compassion? That yes, we would count the cost and say, this is a costly thing. But because of the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus, that he looked at the cost, he looked even at the cross, and he endured the pain, knowing the joy that lie ahead, the work that he has called us to be a part of. Will we be those people of compassion? Church, let's go before our compassionate God. Let's thank him for his mercy and his grace and his compassion towards us. Let's ask him for a vision uh, of joy and compassion. Let's ask him for direction in how to be those people. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we know that you are a compassionate God. God, that not only do we look at a few verses in the Bible and see that compassion's a good part of our life as Christians, but God, everywhere we look, we just see that you are a God who sees, a God who feels, and God who acts on behalf of your people. That you sent your son to step into our world. God, we thank you. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy, for your compassion towards, towards people like us. And we're broken and we feel it. I pray that you would fill us up. Jesus, I pray that you would lead us to be who you've called us to be. That we would look at your example. That we would look at the way that you counted the cost. That you paid the price knowing the joy. Jesus, that you had the joy of knowing us and having us as your people and that was worth it for you. Jesus, I pray that our hearts would be broken for the needs of this world, not only physical needs, but also the spiritual need where people are lost, where people are hopeless, where people are trapped in chains of bondage, where people are lost in darkness and cannot find their way out, or people who are hopeless and in despair day after day. Jesus, as you poured out your compassion on us, you've called us to pour out compassion on those around us. So guide us by your spirit. We can't do it ourselves. We're all about ourselves. 
Jesus, we need you. We want to see you. We want your spirit to guide us, to be a part of the things that you would have us to be a part of. Open our eyes. Break our hearts. Call your church to action day after day. Thank you, Jesus. It's with great joy that we pray. Amen.